0: So, was Jesus born to die? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Or did He die to live? Or as many trick questions, C, both A and B. Anyway, uh, today we we call it today Good Friday because we know something that the disciples didn't know. We know that this leads to Easter Sunday. They didn't. And we're going to dive into that tonight. So I'm asking you to block off all you know about Sunday and try to read the text as, uh, as they felt it. It's a time of death, a time of disappointment, a time of shattered dreams. Their entire worldview came crumbling down right before their eyes. That had to be amazing. So we're going to set the stage to properly understand Good Friday the crucifixion who killed Jesus why he had to die gonna survey the whole Old Testament just with this statement everything bad that happens in the Old Testament happens because of Israel's disobedience broadly speaking okay if they're in captive in Assyria it's because of national sin and the Lord and God is disciplining them and then Babylon comes the exile Cyrus, Persia, Greece, and so Israel has this mindset of everything in the Old Testament that went wrong went wrong because of national disobedience. You know where I'm going if you've been with me for a year or two. If national disobedience is the problem in the New Testament era, then the solution is national obedience, and the Pharisees were the ones that took that as their cause, and they ran around trying to make sure everybody obeyed because they wanted God to rid them of the Roman rule. They viewed the Roman Empire as God's judgment, just like Assyria, just like Babylon, just like Persia, okay? And that the solution is national obedience. So that's kind of where, where they're going. And if you read Leviticus 26, you know, it's a very long chapter, but this is just, you know, five or six highlights Consequences for national sin. Enemies will triumph over you. There's no rain, there's no fruit, there's no bread, there's no wine. Cities are destroyed, your land is destroyed, your land is occupied by enemies, and you have no power to stand before your enemies. This shapes the New Testament thinking of the Pharisees. Okay, And you know that, we've been there before, just trying to help you understand that. But it also shapes the the expectations and the disappointment of the disciples and of all of Israel when their Messiah doesn't turn out to be the Messiah they thought they were going to get. They wanted a Messiah that would rid them of Roman rule. Jesus was not that Messiah. And so we're going to zip ahead into Mark's Gospel. That was perhaps the fastest Old Testament survey you've ever had. We're going to zip ahead to the Mark's Gospel and um, kind of set the stage there. Now, um, you know the Gospels, we have four of them they're each written to a different audience and because of that they emphasize certain things you know and uh, mark is written to a roman audience and and that's where we're going to be today but again when when jesus shows up in the first century world palestine it is the most complex social political religious economic civilization that i know of in the world and and you could take a A three-hour graduate course on it and barely get going so I don't have much time tonight but I'm just going to try to try to do that Um, you know just all the competing voices in the first century you got religious voices if you've been around the New Testament you've read about the Pharisees there's actually two school of Pharisees that, that you can see in Scripture battling out and arguing and there's the Sadducees and I have to say this they don't believe in the resurrection so that's sad, you see. Anyway, and the Essenes, the Zealots, among the Zealots were a group of uh, Sicarii that were uh, literal assassins. They would run around and literally kill Roman officials. You have the scribes and publicans, we're thinking there of Matthew. And uh, of course, you have political voices of Rome, the Sanhedrin, the Herodians, pro Herod, cultural voices, the Samaritans, the Romans, and the Jews. And, and all of these have uh, different relationships. In the midst of this, Mark is writing his gospel to a Roman audience, and Jesus is crucified on a Roman cross. Mark is pointing to the terrorist on the cross as the Son of God. If you go to Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he, he doesn't take long to get to the point. Mark 1, 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what he's talking about. Why he's talking about it is 14 verses later, he says this The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance and belief are, are two sides of the same thing. Don't separate them, you're going to get confused, okay? And, and here it just simply means change your mind about who this Jesus is. He's pointing to the terrorist on the cross and saying, You need to change your mind about him. Because I'm going to tell his story in this gospel, okay? And so he's writing to Romans, and Romans, um, the the people of Rome were were a violent, idolatrous people. I've, I've shared with you before, the idolatry is just hardwired into the fabric of their everyday life. If you are a carpenter, first off, if you're just a person, you and your family worship a certain Roman god, an idol, a pagan idol. And if you're a carpenter, your guild, your trade, together worships another Roman false pagan god. And then your town would, and of course you're expected you have to, uh, worship the emperor. Emperor worship is a thing. And so there's all these layers of idolatry that, that's just hardwired in there. And um, that makes it very difficult for them to think of entertaining the, um, the notion that some religion would be for them. They are outsiders if you ever saw or heard outsiders. I mean, the Roman people, they're they're just, they're out there. They're like, those are the people you don't invite to the church picnic. It's like, yeah, that's just, that's not a good idea. You know what I mean? Okay, you get the point. So, he has a huge bridge to gap with this cultural, idolatrous civilization of Rome. Plus, it's not just the people. Jesus is on the Roman cross, what do you, how, how are you going to swing this? The gospel of Mark, I mean, if you understand the challenges that he faced, it is such a fun gospel read because you're, you're, you're observing and you're like, oh, that's good because you know where he's going. It's really, really fun. So Mark brings good news. Now remember, the word gospel, euangelion, I'm going to get into this later, but it simply means good news. So Mark is bringing good news to the Roman, the violent Roman idolatrous people about Jesus, the hero. The hero is Jesus, except it's complicated because he's a criminal. Actually, the word that's used is terrorist. He's rejected by his own people. His own disciples don't even get it. I mean, they run off. This guy is completely alone. The people that are supposed to be writing the religious show, they turn out to be the real criminals, and this innocent man is crucified on a Roman cross. So crucifixion, it it was Rome's way of saying, don't be like this man. It it, it was a warning, a shameful warning. It it wasn't just a tool to to get the guy off the planet. It was was a shame-based warning for terrorism, all right? But Mark's audience, they, how are they going to get past that shame of the cross? And this is worth writing in, in a, a post-it note and stick it in your Bible. Anytime you read the gospel of Mark, you need to think this. He's counteracting the shame of the cross. The entire gospel, Mark is moving to counteract the shame of the cross. That's why he spends half of his gospel... Dealing with the, the arrest, trial, and crucifixion. Half. Because he knows that's the hang-up with his audience. You, you better slow the pace down and walk them through who's doing what and who's not doing what if they're going to get over the shame of the cross, and he does that. So Mark is bringing a better gospel. Now, remember, gospel is good news. In this culture, if there's a gospel, the Greek word is euangelion. And and that, that term gospel was in their culture. It was something they're used to. Anytime there was a new king, a new king conquered something or foreign land, they would send forth the good news, the gospel. And the gospel news was the new king has made new victories. There's new privileges, there's new rights, and there's new members of his kingdom. That's how they heard the term gospel. So Mark is like, in the other gospel letters, like, hmm, this will work, right? Because Jesus is a new king. He brings a new kingdom. And there's new members of his kingdom, and there's new privileges of his kingdom that happen to be eternal. But they, they happen to start with the guy on the cross. And you're going to have to get over that shame, he says to his audience, okay? Well, he, he, he tells them uh, right away. The beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I pointed this out. We did Mark a couple months ago. But look at this. He came up out of the water. Immediately he saw that heavens being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I'm well pleased. True or false, God the Father has shame over his Son. False. You are my beloved Son. I'm pleased. You see where this is going? Right at the very beginning, there is no shame that God sees with the guy on the cross. If God sees no shame, you can see no shame, okay? He's already working on it. And he's just about 12 verses into it, okay? So he tells, he tells his disciples at least three times, straight up, look what he says. While at Caesarea Philippi, he began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said, I love this. He said this plainly. In case you're reading it, it's like, yeah, well, maybe, you know, maybe it was obscure, or maybe he was eating something and he couldn't just mumbling. No. He said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff. Another thing I'd always try to get you to think is anytime the text mentions a place, it's it's probably on purpose. It just so happens that Caesarea Philippi is the the equivalent of Baal worship in the New Testament, and is a place greatly associated with shame. Okay, so in a place where they name Herod and Caesar king, marked by shame, Jesus says, "I'm going to experience shame." And Peter's like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, uh." No, we need honor, power, privilege, because you're that Messiah that's going to kick Rome out, and we're going to rule with you, right? next chapter chapter 9 he was teaching his disciples saying the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men they will kill him when he's killed after three days he will rise they came to capernaum okay we're asking already well okay what's going on there and when he was in the house he asked them what were you discussing on the way but they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest Capernaum was like the Harvard of pharisaical schools this is where the best of the best studied and and anytime you're walking on the path towards Capernaum the conversation would always turn to the greatest scholars the pharisaical scholars who has the best interpretation well rabbi so-and-so says this and rabbi so-and-so says that because that's what you do in Capernaum and isn't it interesting on the way to Capernaum they're like who's the greatest So Jesus is interested in serving everybody, and they're like, I'm I'm better than you, and it's just interesting, isn't it? One more, chapter 10. They were on the road going to Jerusalem. See, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John came up to him and said, "Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask." <laughs> wow. Okay, then he's sharing. He's going to die, and we—Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the seat of power. That's where the power is. That's where if you graduate from the top of your class at Capernaum up in Galilee, you can go south to Jerusalem and have a powerful experience doing your legalistic stuff. Okay, just, That's just what they did. But isn't it interesting that Jerusalem, the connection here is power. We want, we want power over you. We want you to do what we say. So in all three of these, Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10, you see... Um, Jesus straightforward saying he's going to Jerusalem. And remember Jerusalem? I've got, the, I've got the slide later on here. You know what I mean? When you go to Jerusalem and, and you confront the, the, the chief priests, you're dead in seven days. Even though Jesus spent three years debating with the Pharisees. And, and twice they tried to save his life. Anyway, so that's what's going on there. Um, all the while, all the disciples can think is, when are you going to restore the kingdom. When are you going to get the power, and when are you going to get the honor, and when are you going to get the glory, and when is Rome going to be out of here, and when can we get some revenge? Oh, in in a good way, I'm sure. Just godly revenge. Old Testament style. Anyway, no one understood this. Um, when Whenever they would hear him say he will rise or rise from the dead in their world, they always thought of the, the end, future, last day resurrection. And you can see that in, in I think it's John 11 with Lazarus and, and, and Mary. It's like, you know, your brother's going to rise. And she's like, yeah, I know he's going to rise. And she says, in the last day. They didn't have a concept of raising from the dead three days later, even even though I'm just saying that's just how they thought, okay? So they don't get it before the resurre- the crucifixion, and they don't get it after the resurrection, because that's when they say Acts 1-6. Acts, this is after the whole thing. I'm, I'm way past Sunday already. We're down on Wednesday and Thursday after the resurrection. And they say, Lord, is it at this time you'll restore the kingdom? That's after the resurrection. They still don't get it. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, and then you go to... You want something really mind-blowing? Check this out. The, very, the last verse of Mark, and it's the last verse. I know there's some verses afterwards, but there's that parenthetical thing in your Bible that says it's not in the, the best Greek manuscripts. And Anyway, I'm going to get into that Sunday. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out, these are the women, they went out and fled from the tomb. Look at this, trembling, astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone for fear, for they they were afraid. Wow, what's with that ending? I'm going to unpack that on Sunday, so come back, all right? But this is the slide I was talking about earlier. He spends, Jesus spends three years debating the Pharisees. Capernaum is right up here. That little triangle represents 80% of Jesus' ministry is in that north shore part of the Sea of Galilee. Three years debating with the Pharisees, enjoying that, sparring back and forth, getting them all riled up. He comes down here and he confronts the Sadducees and specifically the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, and in seven days he's dead. That's the power of, and the corruption of what's going on here, okay? So we have, um, let's zoom ahead to the triumphal entry. When Jesus comes into uh, Jerusalem, it's kind of interesting, we see that... Um, First off, the Passover, the triumphal entry type of Passover. Passover, think Old Testament, what's a Passover? Celebrating deliverance from Egypt. So they have a big festival. Everyone goes to Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of Jews crash into Jerusalem, and they celebrate God's miraculous deliverance from an evil, powerful oppressor. Okay, now pretend you're Pilate. You're the evil, powerful oppressor. The last thing you want is the Jews to get all excited about getting together and celebrating God delivering them from an evil, powerful oppressor. You see what I'm saying? So during this Passover, every time Pilate would go to Jerusalem to control it, because Pilate... He's in a weird position. He's got to answer to Caesar, and he's got to control Judea. And of all of the Roman lands, Judea, this little tiny piece of land, was the most cantankerous and difficult land to rule. It was just the Jews. They, they just don't do emperor worship. Okay, we'll get to that later. But this is, you, you can see here what's going on, Pilate's annual Route. He would go from Caesarea to Joppa, and then he would come into to Jerusalem with his white horse, with his army, with banners, with all kinds of power. And the message is clear. You you can have your festival celebrating Passover, but don't you dare think about doing it under my watch here. Very, very clear. Okay, like tanks rolling down the streets, jets, helicopters, the whole nine yards. It's just like, yeah, go ahead and celebrate. But remember, okay? And so you've seen this a long time before. But Pilate, when he would come in, he would come in from the west with his white horse, his army, his banners. And at the same time, the text says on the other side of town, Jesus is coming in, the triumphal entry, on a donkey. (laughs) A little, short, squatty donkey. And the crowds are waving, palm branches which is a is is it's connected with the zealots and and freedom fighters and so you 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 bet that the roman centurions around there are like oh palm branches yeah, but he's on a donkey whatever right i mean it's not he, jesus is not a threat he's not a military threat to rome they probably they you know they see the palm branches and some crowds and they're like uh oh, you know go check it out but it's not that big a deal right To 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 the Romans, Jesus is he's a mystic, he's he's backwards, he's just he's just strange. Jesus is not a threat to Rome. He's not a threat to the Jewish people. So if he's not a threat to Rome or a threat to the Jewish people, how do the chief priests arrest him? Political smear campaign. Been watching the news? It's just, right? It just is part of the fabric of politics, smearing and this and that. And the sad thing is we're like, which way is up, right? It is just, anyway. So this is what they do. What, listen to the words here. Pilate asks Jesus in Mark 15, are you king of the Jews? Is, is, uh, is that a blasphemy question or a treason question? from a Roman perspective. That's treason. I mean, if, if Jesus said, I'm God, the Romans are like, whatever, okay, have fun with that. But if he says, you know, I've got a kingdom. If you announce you have a kingdom standing in the Roman empire, yeah, things are gonna start happening, okay? So the Jews switch the charges of Jesus from blasphemy, because that's what they have early on, Blasphemy, blasphemy, the Romans don't care about that, and the Romans alone carry the authority for, for execution. The Jews can't execute anybody. They have to convince the Rome that whoever they got is worthy of execution, so they switched the charges from blasphemy, which Rome doesn't care about, to treason, which Rome is very interested about, especially at the time of Passover. You get it? So that's a little bit of... Um, a little bit of shenanigans going over there, and plus he's charged by the Sanhedrin. Now there, there, there are, um, there are actually two Sanhedrins. This, there, there's corruption at so many levels I can't even fully communicate to you. I'll try, but there was it. It, uh, it was like um, half Pharisees, half Sadducees, and it's supposed to be this body that does things and makes decisions and you know sort of be balanced thing. But there was there was a behind the scenes powerful leaders, Sanhedrin, they would meet in the home of the chief priest. Now later get your Bible out when Peter is at the fire. Look at the location. It's at the home of the chief priest. This is that gathering of the inner circle of the powerful members. They made all the decisions at this chief priest's house and then they bring them to the full assembly and they would just ratify them. And if you didn't ratify it, you were disappeared. Seriously. They had temple guards, which just do behind-the-alley executions routinely. So this, it, it is, I'm not exaggerating to say this is a religious mafia. That is how it ran. That is how it ran, and that's why Jesus is dead in seven days, okay? So the Jews are expecting a military Messiah, but they never expected the Messiah to be arrested, tried, crucified, condemned, and certainly not rise from the dead. That's just nowhere on their radar so, <clears throat> you can you get some water, please, in the front? It's Friday night. I'm not used to speaking. Thank you. So, the crucifixion is um, the Roman, Roman, Romans don't invent crucifixion. The Greeks and the Persians have been doing that. And actually, women were crucified too. Um, but um, again, it was, you're asking the question well, why not just stone him with stones? Stephen was stoned. Okay, they, they want to send a message. They want Jesus to die in a particular way so that they can point to him and say, don't be like this man and don't follow this man. That's the message. It's a warning and it's, it's tagged with shame. And again, Mark is pointing to this guy as a son of God, all right? So um, they always, they would crucify them outside the city wall, big intersections so everybody could see it, and um, it served to intimidate, okay? So a lot of people that were crucified never even made it to the point of crucifixion because the flogging would, would, would so shred their bodies that they would literally die before they got there. Um, so, um, and you know, Jesus uh, carried the, the cross member of his cross there, and um Anyway, let's get to uh, who killed Jesus. Um, the Jewish people don't kill Jesus. The crowds love Jesus. They love his teaching. <coughs> they love his teaching, um, but later on, the crowd that turns on him in chapter 14, it's not the same crowd. It's, it's a group of thugs that the um, chief priests have hired. The the Pharisees and Sadducees don't kill him. They're they're part of the the moving there, but they're not really the ones that do it. Um, Again, they try to save his life in Luke 13. The Romans don't kill Jesus. Even though it's their machine, they're not really the conspirators behind it. They just happen to have the mechanism. It's the chief priests. The chief priests. Who are the chief priests? Quick story here. Back in the day when the Hasmonean dynasty was going on, uh, the... The Jews are ruling, and they can see Rome coming. And they're smart enough to know when Rome gets here, we are going to lose power. So they go down and grab Herod, a wealthy guy from Nabatea, and they say, Hey, if you be our king, you can interface us with Rome. And, um, and then if you let us be our like, religious power guys, you can have the whole country. We'll have power over religious stuff. And so Herod says yes. He immediately offers the hype priesthood up for sale to the highest bidder a guy named annas shows up in the gospels of luke and john he buys it and so for the whole duration of, of biblical new testament history his family runs the priesthood and it is corrupt these are the mafia guys that kill people and um, they just do what they want and so um they break over 15 jewish laws In the trial of Jesus it's at night they rush it out they don't do anything again mark is showing Jesus is not the criminal it's the chief priests that are the criminal okay and so we go to um we go to that tense conversation with Pilate listen to this I just I read that at the beginning here Pilate was going to release him and they the Jews cried out if you release him you're not a friend of Caesar now that's a problem for Pilate right Because Pilate has to keep the peace here in Judea. He has to answer to Caesar, and the chief priests know that, and they leverage that. And they say, Pilate, we will turn this place upside down and burn it to the ground if you don't do what we say. Pilate's pinched. He has to do what they say. And so he delivers Jesus, because the the chief priests know the political position he's in, right? So the, the point is, it's the chief priests that really, it's a political threat to their control. Jesus is innocent. Pilate sees this three times. He tries to release them. He has him flogged, hoping that the Jews will be <coughs> satisfied and, um, and walk away. But no, they keep going and, and crucify him. So um, his death was confusing to his disciples, right? Um, they wanted Jesus to deliver them politically. Jesus was delivering them spiritually they want to avoid shame. Jesus is walking right into shame, and um, and then there's this fear component too. You know, crucifixion. Don't be like this man. The Jews actually had a uh, a Jewish acceptance. They they Jewish exception. They literally had a get out of jail card from emperor worship. Now watch how smart Herod is. Herod knew. Okay, these Jews are never going to do emperor worship. Not going to happen. So the Jews and Herod worked out a deal, and they said to Caesar, if, if the Jews make sacrifices for you every day, would you consider exempting them from emperor worship? Must have been a busy day, he's like, okay, sure, whatever. But they didn't say sacrifices to him. And there's this kind of joke in history that Herod pulled the wool over the eyes of Caesar. It's not to you, it's for you, okay? And so, so the Jews would offer sacrifices for... Caesar, and they did not have to observe emperor worship. Now, what happens if you start believing and following the terrorist on the cross? You step out of the safety zone of the Jewish exception, and you are now expected to do emperor worship or die. You see? So there's a consequence here, okay? So anyway, what we're doing here is... Um, We're getting into the gospel that Mark is talking about. And here, I've I've shown you this a while ago. Let's just read this together. It's good. First off, this is an inscription found at, um, I think, around um, Ephesus. Citizens of Preni, since divine providence has brought to life the most perfect good in Augustus, whom she filled with the virtues of the benefits of all mankind, bestowing on us Augustus Caesar as savior of the world... For he has put an end to war and brought perfect peace. By the advent, the coming of his birth, he brought the gospel of peace to all mankind. Never will another gospel surpass the gospel that was announced at his, Caesar Augustus' birth. He is not only really Lord of Empire, but Lord of Earth in the calendar of time itself. So this is how the culture thought about the gospel. This is what they're doing, okay? And so if you're going to follow... Uh, a gospel of Jesus you you're you're no longer following the gospel of Rome all right and here we've seen this before the gospel of hellenism rested on these four things education healthcare entertainment and athletics and how how hard is it for mark to portray Jesus Offering a better gospel. Well, it's pretty easy because, you know, he's a, he's a better teacher. He's a great teacher. He heals people. That's great. And entertainment, he's always stirring up the crowds. It's great to watch. But the athletic champion part, he's not really a victor. He's He's hanging on a cross. What do you do? If you're trying to offer a better gospel, and this is the way the culture thinks, what do you do? This is what you do. You offer... Jesus' triumphal procession to the cross as his most high, the zenith of his, his life and career. And this is, this is where we're going. I, I mentioned this a while ago. But Nero's coronation as king would have happened just a few years before this happened. So everybody in the room, Nero becoming king, that's a big deal. Everyone sees it, right? They're all watching CNN or whatever they watched back then, right? And, and so they see this. And so then Mark takes the same steps and puts Jesus in the same steps so that there's this crazy parallel that nobody can miss. Here we go. Mark recasts the crucifixion of Jesus as his coronation. So he, he's portraying him as a victor, not a victim, all right? The steps of the Roman triumphal procession of a new king or a new general, the Praetorian guard would gather in the courtyard. Mark 15 said the soldiers led him away inside the palace, the headquarters, the whole battalion. That's, that's a parallel. They hail Caesar as Lord and God, and they put a purple robe and a wreath on him. Well, they put a purple robe on him and a crown of thorns and they make fun of him. Oh, king of the Jews, spitting on him instead of honoring him. This whole thing is all about shame, right? Roman soldiers would lead the way to the new Caesar, processional down the streets with incense. And they had mocked him. They put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So just the parallel continues. The whole time they're asking, When will you restore the kingdom? When are you going to get through with all this, all this stuff, and just get to business, right? The sacrificial bowl decorated with a garland was was lead, led down the Via Sacra. The official carried the tool of death, an axe, and Jesus is going down the Via, the way of suffering, Via Dolorosa. Simon, a Cyrene, carries the cross. He's actually the father of Alexander Rufus, who show up in Romans. Kind of cool, anyway. Paul knew their mom, who was very, uh, very kind of him. Anyway, they go to Capoline Hill, a decapitate uh, uh, head, means head, okay. They brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means skull head. So there's, there's an obviously parallel there. The, um, they sacrifice uh, the uh, cup of wine is offered but rejected, and um, Jesus was offered wine, and he didn't take it. The bull is killed, ran, and then Caesar randomly pronounces life or death for these prisoners. They crucify him, and they randomly cast lots for what to take, the spoil, the plunder, all right? It just goes on, and, and then you have um, the, the Roman legions on his right and his left compared with robbers on his right and left, and that right there, that word, the Greek word robbers, in, in extra all this other Greek, it's just zealots. It's tr- It's terrorists and zealots, okay? And so um, this is probably an attempt to make fun of the Jewish king. You're surrounding yourself with terrorists because that's, uh, that's what they think of them, all right? They announce, Hail, Caesar, Lord, and God, and then they say the same thing. Uh, Come down that we can believe you, king of Israel. Again, mocking him, right? And so this whole thing is designed to shame and shame and shame. But it's also communicating to the Roman audience, Right? You're an outsider, Roman citizen, this is the new way. So the average Roman citizen is gonna be like, You wait a minute, you're saying that when I heard Nero's new kingdom and privileges and victories and the benefits, you're portraying Jesus in the same way as a new king with new victories and new benefits, but but he's on the cross. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. And he can save you from your sins, he can forgive you. And no other gospel that you've ever heard about before that can do that. His death brings you life, right? Who figures this out in the gospel of Mark? Do his disciples? Because if you're a Roman citizen, you're reading this thing, you're like, well, I bet bet his inside group, they probably get it. And you're reading the text, and (laughs) they run away. Wow. I mean, Romans know honor and sacrifice and commitment in his own disciples leave him? Wow. The chief priests, they're the criminals? Wow. He was innocent and yet died such a horrible death willingly? Wow. Right. Wasn't the religious leaders that figured it out. They wanted to kill him. His family said he's crazy. As the book of Mark goes on, you've, you've got a couple people that that figure it out. And they're all the wrong people. They're outsiders. The Syro-Phoenician woman. That's where Baal worship was really, really deep. You've got the ble- the random bleeding woman that you know she shouldn't be doing anything near any of this stuff, and she understands it. And then you've got um, a member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea. He went and secretly got, you know, the, the body and the spices and everything. Anyway, at the end of the day, this is who saw it, right? Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. This curtain of the temple was torn in two. That's the same Greek word at the beginning of Mark, torn open. At the end, torn in two. A new way has been torn open to access God. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw it, he breathed his last. The Roman centurion said, this man was the son of God. And Mark does the mic drop. Boom. That's an amazing way to end this book, right? It is incredible. And so, with the death of Jesus came the death of the disciples' dreams, but Jesus had to die to give them life, life that they didn't even understand they needed, right? And so, it's fascinating that um, the, the question here is do you, do you relate to the outsider? Do you, do you think you belong? Church hurt is the worst kind of hurt. I don't know why that is, but if you've ever been hurt in church, you, 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 you trust the church with your soul and with your, the, the innermost part of yourself, and if that's betrayed and hurt, that's a deep hurt. Some people just, you know, not doing that again. Do you have a death? you have a disappointment? You have something like that that um, Jesus can help heal? Jesus died so we can live according to his kingdom, not our comfort. And so what deaths, what disappointments, expectations can you bring to God for examination? And, and maybe, maybe they're, they're expectations that, that are out of line. Uh, they make sense, but like the disciples, it's just not where God is going. Or maybe they're legitimate things that just the Lord has another lesson as we wait, Right? How might the death of your dreams, expectations, be a pathway to life as God sees it? And that is really the key here. So um, we are outsiders, and the the death of Jesus opens the door up. It's counterintuitive, right? Uh, The Romans thought he was a mystical and backwards and upside down and confusing, but uh, through his death, we can know our sins are forgiven. We can have meaning and purpose in life, and we can be assured of eternal life because he's on the cross. Most importantly, because he gets off the cross in a couple days, but we're not there yet. So no matter how bad you've been, no matter how f- f- short you have fallen, um, like the Roman outsiders, there should be hope swelling up in your heart. Like, you, you, you mean, I, I can get in on this? You don't have to be like his insiders. No, they don't even get it. You don't have to be like an official religious person. No, they're the criminals. Your best shot at this is if you're really screwed up and clueless, a complete outsider. You have a shot at this, Roman citizen. And there's hope in that. And if there's hope for them, then there's hope for us, right? So i um, going to wrap up here. We'll pray. And then we're going to shift right into communion. But um, Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. I think we secretly think we would have fared better than your disciples. Perhaps that's arrogance and pride, and maybe it's just not understanding the cultural pressures in which they live. Nevertheless, we stand before you humbled and grateful. Thank you for dying Thank you for being faithful to your Father's plan. Thank you for going forward, for not being dissuaded by Peter's rebuke, Satan's temptations. So many other things that probably happened that we just don't read about. So Lord, we, we love you, and we pray that as we think about your death and your resurrection this weekend, that we would be warming to the chance that we have to be related to you and to be forgiven by you. And may that just be good news that we freely share with other people. Amen.